Hi and welcome everyone, uh, my name is Stephen Ridgeway and this is the Talking VTE episode 29 here at the uh, RCC conference in uh, Canberra and I'll just uh, hand over to, uh, to Michael Coughlin to uh, introduce the topic for the session. And the topic is open education and I haven't any particular angle on open education that I wanted to promote. I really put up the, the topic as a, a placeholder for this afternoon's session so those who were interested would come along and I'd perhaps craft the topic or take, in, take it in any direction we want. I think an actually good starting point might be, you know, what is open education, which was uh, introduced at the conference that Lee Blackle and I were both at in, these, in this session here this afternoon. It's a lot of different things, open education. It's got quite a l many facets to it and I don't profess to be an expert but maybe between all of us here we can kind of brainstorm what it is and then does it matter I guess is the question why is it relevant I've made the decision in our workplace back in TAFE South Australia to encourage people just through creative commons and open courses uh, to explore the use of open internet for course resources rather than sort of recreate stuff that already exists there's a few things that I'm doing back home but gee it's hard work people are really reluctant and I'll just share one little, you know, aha moment as the saying goes, and it's a really simple one. This person works in uh, building and carpeting, carpentry in Adelaide, and we were doing a short course online, familiarising people with online tools. And on day three of the course, he found these videos on YouTube about a whole lot of stuff they do in the course and he said I can't believe this stuff and how good it is we've got all these really crappy videos that we trot out year after year and inflict on our students and we'll be using this stuff from now on and I just thought well I've been banging my head against this wall for years as I'm sure many of us here have and it was just a wonderful moment where someone discovered God there's open resources out mm. there that we can use now. So that's just a little story to get us rolling. So what's open ed? Can we just brainstorm a few ideas? Can I go left of the dealer? Yeah. Uh, I want to insert the, na the word networked in there, open networked education, because open education, we have the open universities, um, we have the appropriation by the likes of UNESCO and Commonwealth of Learning and things like that and their interpretation of open education seems to be content-centric and your story reconfirms that as much as it's wonderful that they're finding the content via search on YouTube it's still the consumption of the content and I dare to say I bet you a million bucks they're embedding it into their Moodle and not paying back mm -hmm. on the whole thing and not then teaching their students how to find their own videos on YouTube and then make their own videos on, you know you know how the story goes so the networked word for me implies that is that you're networking your learning, it still needs explanation, but I like it because it's O-N-E-1. O -N -E one. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I don't, one has no meaning, but uh, O-E and O-E-R, I just don't like that stuff. I think it's been railroaded and it's um, not useful anymore. So it's creation of resources as well as the use of existing open resources and communicating on that front, so if, we're, if you're going to be resource centric, so if you're using the YouTube example, uh, if they apply the critical hats that we try to, you know, that people ask them to use, 
there must be flaws in those videos. There must be a mistake in those videos. Uh, point it out in the comments. Make a video response that corrects it. Do you see it? In, I've seen it in the rock climbing community, right? They, they make these videos on how to um, place protection. And one particular one, this, this really experienced rock climber, placed this pit of protect, um, protection technically incorrectly. It was only a matter of hours before somebody had released a video comment saying, nice video, but technically you've got it around the right, wrong way. I think you forgot. This is how you do it. And you know what I mean? So you've got this dialogue going on around... About things. resources, course resources. Yeah, well, it's essentially about the thing that they're video recording. Which also happens to be a, a course no, resource. That's a conversation. The, it the is it, it wasn't intended to be. It was intended to be a finished instructional no, resource, but, but it never is. No, it's an example of how like, that's a dynamic um, mm. thing rather than a static piece of information. You see it all over the place, but you don't see it in institutionalised educational resources or anything intended for that yeah. purpose. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's where you get one of the hang-ups with sharing, um, where there is that perceived risk, okay, if I make a video in my carpentry workshop, there might be something wrong here. Mm. If I share it, I'll get critiqued or somebody will pick on it rather than looking at it from the perspective of put it out there and yes, hope you, for improvement. You, you, you put it out there for that very reason. You know that yeah. there's something yeah. you're missing. You put it out there for mm. that's, that's wiki culture, yeah, as I we suppose. discussed a lot yeah. yesterday. It, 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 networking where's culture. that issue of connection? Um, so you're taking it beyond the, the pure creation or the pure consumption and, and you're getting that connection between the creator and the consumer um, who then can become part of that loop. It doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be, could be a simple um, text comment that comes back. Mm. It's a really crucial philosophical point here, isn't there? Like yeah, it's, crucial. That it's an acceptance, awareness that knowledge, I mean, it never was, but we've functioned for a long time as if the knowledge, the stuff we used in courses, was the end product. Mm. It was the final word on the matter. We know that's no longer the case, although it never was. No, it's just abundantly clear that it isn't mm. and never will be. Or, and, or even if it is, you know, there are some areas where it's just truth, I don't know, like the theory of gravity or whatever, but um, if, if that's a given, then the expression of that law may be flawed in some way. So there's always a way to improve the explanation of that given. Uh, so there's so many dimensions to that opportunity to dialogue around um, the, the, the resource, the, the communication technique and the, the learning. And in my experience, and several times, you know, um, it's been critical. Like I made these little videos of an experiment to heat water with um, compost using um, polyethylene piping and discovered that there was evidence of a gas in the water. I couldn't understand why this was possible and none of the videos I'd watched were mentioning it. They must have all realised it because the evidence was a smell in the water, but they weren't mentioning it. <coughs> and I was saying, there's a smell here, there's a smell here and I don't like it and I'm going to test it and there's a yes, there's a gas in this water. Could it be that the polyethylene is decomposing and off-gassing into the water and it could it be that it's a... It's a toxic chemical going into the, like, i.e. hydrochloric acid gas, perhaps. Anyway, I didn't get an answer directly, but I got, don't use that material, use this material. It's um, more robust to the decomposing conditions that you're putting into it, won't off gas. So I, he used better wording than me. Basically, he gave me a brand name product to go and use, and so that come this next season, I'll try that out and test for gas. But you know what I mean? So... The intention was mm. to put it out there knowing that there's an error, knowing mm. that there's something wrong, 
hoping somebody's going to answer it. And it took about three months. Somebody did answer it. I think answer it. We'll test it out again and um, put up the video and see where we go from there. How did you go the other day with Mira's ear when you put the photo of what's this on yeah, the dog's ear? Very well. how, how long did that take and what was the answer? It took 15 minutes. And what was the answer? Um, two possibles. Um, um, a, a type of mange, which would be tragic, or um, just insect bites. And uh, the photo, unanimously, everyone suggested Barbara do. Barbara Du in Brazil yep. said, I think it's insect bites. And I checked it with an Australian forum. He says, yes, the change of the seasons or the, you know, the wet season we've got now, there are many aggressive biting insects, it's insect bites. Then I went into the vet. Uh, I walked into the foyer and I said, I think my dog's getting harassed by insect bites, whereas I might have gone and said, I think my dog's got mange. And there you go, 60 bucks, check in, check for mange. Whereas I think it's insect bites. They took a look. Yeah, I think you're right. Here's some repellent. Was, uh, awesome. And was mm. it? Yes, it's all good. Mm. So it's really what you're talking about. Like we we all love you know education and that sort of stuff. But what we're really talking about is you know living and and achieving our objectives and you know it's so much more than just learning. It's it's actually mm. being able to function and, and getting our goals met in so many different ways. I referred to Nancy White in an earlier session, but Nancy uses this neat little phrase e living. This is e-living. Mm. It's using that, you know, it's just life. Yeah. But using that vehicle of communication to, to satisfy or solve really small problems. I just want to float an idea here, which is not really to do with open ed, but it is connected. Open network education, yeah. In my little video intro the other night, I said, you know, I've been wondering whether we all here, sitting here at the moment, use open and network learning as a way of functioning as professionals and it satisfies mm. our needs to grow and learn as professionals and yet we see far less evidence of that same process happening with students in formal classes. Why is that? Is it the nature of this beast that it just it doesn't work inside formal classes, inside institutions? Well, well I find it interesting that none of us actually work with each other yet I've said before that my professional colleagues are all outside my organisation, so I wonder, beyond, mm. not just with students, whether workplaces actually stifle that as well. I suspect, Michael, that if we were in a classroom teaching a course or whatever it might be, uh, our philosophical approach would be a student-centred network one, uh, using a wealth of strategies and, and resources, etc. And in, in response to your, your question then, I would say that most teachers um, don't uh, follow that approach. They, they are instructivist um, teachers and and if they just don't get it that they, they can't see why you would do anything other than to present content and and then assess you know a, a response to that so, if so we how do we change that I, I guess it's, I think it's the best question. best possible uh, potential is recognition of the prior learning process or more accurately the assessment of prior learning process if we can occupy that space, it, it, um, 
Otago Polytechnic, they made a distinction between recognition and assessment of prior learning. Recognition was applied more to just the migration of this certificate work. We recognise that certificate here. Credit transfer. Credit transfer. And assessment of prior learning was the interview process and all that stuff. And they were very interested in this assessing people's informal learning. And, and it just so happens that this tool that we use to connect with people we can't find locally also happens to document that process for us. So we've got plenty of evidence there. Uh, if we can set up an assessment of prior learning uh, unit using perhaps George Seaman's initial work in learning analytics um, and th that emergent field, uh, we might be able to come up with a very efficient service to... Um Can I ask about that? So interviews, like if, if it takes four years to train an electrician, can you really assess an electrician through a series of interviews over a few weeks? Probably not, but no one's suggesting that the interview over a few, few, few weeks is necessarily the way that the assessment of prior learning office or initiative would, would necessarily go about the way they do it, right? There's suggestions of peer review processes like uh, content authorship on Wikipedia and Wikiversity has a, pe a pretty volatile at times peer review process and they have a hierarchy where people go through a review before they can be awarded the status of custodian or status of bureaucrat. So it could be something like that where it's very much time-based engagement with the volunteer community and you rise up through uh, ranks, so to speak, through that pe their peer review process that they've set up. So the electricians might have, I don't know, Electricians of Australia wiki, which is all about electricians and materials and ways of learning about it, and they have that stuff. But I don't think that would work either. No, of so course it wouldn't. Of course, really. Well, of course it wouldn't because... Um, Editing a wiki is not part of, you know, the competencies. Oh, but I think there are ways you can make it att attractive. I and think. how many electricians are like? I actually don't think that would be the most, um, you know, wouldn't be particularly productive. Yeah. Well, you have to talk. I spend a it. couple of weeks on the job with the electrician. Yeah. And mm. they need a colourblindness test. <laughs> well, there'd be a whole bunch of stuff. I know that one of the things that is required of electricians is a thousand evidence of a thousand hours of wiring. And they years. just give a logbook for that, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's really, really important. It's like driving, you know. You've no, got drivers to too. They'd be mm. young drivers so they've got to keep it. Whilst I know that the introduction of RPL and that sort of stuff was, you know, to overcome having to do OHS, you know, 15 million times, I, I sort of, I still don't think, I'm not convinced that we've sort of hit that. But I, I think so you're asking a question far, sorry, Kirsty, but I just wanted mm. you to jump in. I think you're asking a question far down the line. I, I want to ask, how can, and what you're essentially asking in some ways, how can we get those who arguably have the resources to produce educational material, um, to engage in conversations and help people on the right path on their, their interests. How can we get them working in such a way that complement those who have an informal interest in this stuff? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm informally interested, or Stefan's informally interested in wiring um, uh, solar-powered uh, fridges. And how can he find information from a reasonably trusted source that we might say comes from our institutions, perhaps, well, Sorry, and that has a pathway in it towards formalising that interest. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to formalise that interest, it just means that it has a linkage and a very subtle and in the background linkage. Whereas we put up, you want the certificate in this, then you come in. Whereas we just say, you're interested in, elect in um, electrical work, and along the way you can formalise it if you want, or you can just spin out there and just be a hobbyist or, or wherever. So I I, when you said we were going to talk about opening education, I typed it in 
and looks it up in the Wikipedia. Turns out friends. We know all these people who's... And it described open education as a collective term that refers to educational organisations that seek to eliminate barriers to entry. Ah, that's interesting. Now, I thought that was interesting because I like the barriers to entry, which is what we're talking about here with content, saying you don't have to have enrolled in the course before you can get to the course content. Yeah. Well, you don't, even, you don't even have to have an interest in a certification yeah. for it to get involved in the information. The other part they, the, the Wikipedia entry mentions examples of the Open University UK and Abatska University Abatska, yeah. Canada, who actually teach my, use my green ICT training materials for teaching. Yeah, host Wiki Educator. Um, is that, are these the solutions? One is making the content available and the other one is lowering the barriers to entry where you can go to the Open University UK and you can read the materials and they now have forums you can take part in mm -hmm. as a sort of a taster. It's the first, it's, yeah, it's basically the first step but the problem with there is making the material open, it's still contextualised to the institutional learning paradigm. They still reference course 10565 um, in classroom 5B in there and, and just things like that that are not necessary. And so they're not designing, they're not, they're not, their approach to the whole teaching is to those who are already interested in the course experience. Whereas if their approach it is those who just have an informal interest in it, that happens to serve the needs of the course potentially, while also reaching out to people who have an informal interest. Which is where we were talking this morning about how to suck information from somewhere into a course location would come in incredibly useful because, like you say, if, if a teacher shares a course, it's not necessarily going to be useful out of the box and most people in VET will grab something they can see that you know they can have access to um, but they'll want to tweak it, they want to contextualise it or it may be written in such a way that it doesn't need adapting, it doesn't need stuff taken out and being replaced with our localised information. Such as Michael's YouTube videos on carpentry. Yeah, so yeah. if you've got those you know, YouTube videos on carpentry that you can use, finding, and I'm thinking about adoption strategies, finding ways for teachers to be able to integrate that stuff within their courses I think is actually a key in terms of adoption, making it easy for people to get stuff into their course but also um, the mechanisms for that about improvement and so on, so looking at both where it's going to be used in the end with the students but also how it's presented in the first place and made available on the web. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier in, in terms of it's more, much more about sharing the learning design rather than the content and, and resources because as you said Lee it's always got to be contextualised so you know, if what you are doing is sharing the learning design then you know part of that is locating you know, relevant resources whatever wherever they may be yes and I think that the open and network teacher in our vastly irrelevant institutions here in Australia who just have not engaged by and large with this immense contribution to education such as the, carp the, the delay in which the lec uh, TAFE lecturer found the carpentry videos. There should have been no delay there. When the first video was loaded that carpentry lecturer should have been aware of it 
uh, and, and communicating with them and, and you know right there on the scene basically and there's no, no reason there's no big time lag no big draw on their um, time to, to to monitor that um, oh, I did it I got distracted Sorry. I'm thinking about mm. the stuff that Stephen Downs talks about in terms of um, to become a carpenter you watch someone doing carpentry you learn the sorts of language and you learn to become a carpenter by becoming a carpenter and doing what carpenters do, which sort of doesn't involve a teacher. And I'm wondering whether we're actually shifting back into that, you know, shifting back to... I feel you like know, we are, definitely. Yeah, I absolutely mm. hope so, where the YouTube videos are serving as the monkey see, monkey do stuff and, and actually spending time with... And it'll be interesting to see how your ceramics course um, happens, Robin, because I suspect you will be side by side with people who are being ceramic artists you know with you rather than standing in front of you um, pointing to you know mm. um, resources so I sort of wonder where that belongs in this but then you've got the cult of the amateur critique comes in there now uh, and mm. and um, you know the, the in the computing industry right there's a lot of uh, programming organizations who want trained engineers uh, rather than hackers uh, who have self-taught uh, and probably for only reason is because the engineers have a shared experience. They've been mm. through the course, they are aware of this reading and this concept and all that sort of stuff where the hackers are just really diverse. And so we have this thing, we value diversity in the workplace, what a load of bullshit. We actually want everyone to have gone through the same channel so that we can get along around the table with each other. Um, so the cult of the amateur, I think, will is the valid critique against this type of thing, I reckon. But are we, are we? Are you getting tied up again in, in, the, in the worrying about the certification and all that part of it? I'm a certified computer professional, which you might want to hire me because I therefore am insured. But mm-hmm. is that? Don't we want to start at the end to the, where people are interested and yeah. curious in things? We want to make resources available to them. Mm. Yeah, well, they've already got yeah, resources. Well, you say that we want to make resources. They've already got the resources available to them. So it's us, our, our, conce- our conception of this is totally wrong. I, I mean, if, if we had the universities and tapes flooding YouTube with videos, I'd say, say YouTube would be ruined. But perhaps, perhaps <laughs> um, you know, your dream of having educational institutions disappear will happen. Because if you look at the news industry, journalists are very threatened by, you know, we're journalists and all these bloggers are, you know, sort of usurping um, our power. But if you look at what's actually happening, what, what's coming out of, you know, the blogosphere is experts writing about particular stuff, whereas the journalists used to sort of filter this information and and package it for the audience. It's now the expert talking directly, and there's no way a journalist could compete with that. So what would happen if the same thing happened in yeah. education, where you know you might have your amateurs, but then you get these people who are really good at explaining. They're, they're master craftspeople. And the then Khan they, Academy. Khan Academy. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what does that then mean for the role of okay. teacher? Will, it, will that intermediary, back to what you were saying, Stephen, is there still a role there? And if so, what is it? Mm-hmm. And what do we call that, um, that method of transaction where people learn in that way that Stephen Downs talks about? Well, George Simmons also made the term um, curatorial teaching. What does that mean? Uh, you know, where the teacher recognises that everything that needs to be known about that topic is on the net somewhere. Their role is to find it and represent but, it. But how could, that, that supposes that every single student in the world 
will need the same list yeah, of yeah, things, and that goes directly against... Not necessarily, because the museums face the same problem, right? Museums curate their shows, supposing that everyone's going to enjoy the... But they're not that. They're not that approved. They are sophisticated in the way they present information so that multiple generations, multiculturals, can engage with this sort of thing. And likewise, with the curatorial teacher will be sophisticated... Ideally, in, in, you know, that's a big ask for the people carpenter to take sure down stuff. Right. What, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I think you're, you're making the assumption that the that people could learn by grabbing information themselves and construct their own course. And my experience as students is that generally, no, they do a very bad job if you leave them alone. Your role is to pull it together in a way that makes sense and a way of presenting it that brings it across to the student. I mean, I, I said I had a skill in teaching, it's that I know what my strengths are, so I teach by playing to that in a way that addresses the student needs. And I'll do the same content as someone else, but the way I structure and present will be, is what makes it a valuable course, not the information. Mm-hmm. The information they could have got from somewhere else, it's how I put mm. it together. The learning design. Yeah, I, I think we, we downplay educational design and, and, mm. and the way we design a course a little bit too much and I think it's often more important than the content. Mm-hmm. So One of the things we found really interesting in the concept of open educational resources is actually sharing the learning activity and making and ensuring that that learning activity is explicit um, in what is shared over the content because um, in most cases there's fabulous content elsewhere. Yes, sometimes it does take a while to dig and you don't always find it where you've ex- to find it either. Um, also, the response to that response, if you put on the de-schoolers hat, is that... Um, that's Adam from UDSA, by the way, who's made that point. Yes, Adam's, Adam's point is... Um, the re- re- response to that is that that's a result of a school society uh, who have been disempowered from the ability to... Uh, or, what is it? Autodidact or, or mm. autodidactically find a path through things. Um, if because uh, if they're allowed to just explore their interests mm. at whatever age uh, and they had the access to people who would help them through that um, and there was no judgment, judgmentalism about that so if all they want to do is look at baseball um, that's the example that that fellow I'm so bad with names but they're really important names unfortunately I'm sorry but um, if they're all they're interested in is baseball, that is fine. They'll explore baseball for 20 years and maybe, hopefully, at one time they'll get interested in the mathematic formulas that make baseball work and then through that they'll... Or maybe not. Mm. So yeah, another yeah. issue on that one. I mean, I'm, you, you brought up hackers earlier. I'm a hacker. I'm the true, traditional, self-taught, learnt when I was, you know, first computer was a VIC-20, taught myself to program at home. I became a very good programmer but no industry should have been stupid enough to hire me because of these big holes in my knowledge that I just wasn't interested in doing. Mm. And so what the university gives you, and and the only reason I ever did a university course in programming, is it filled those holes. Do you think? By providing me with structure and saying, you must learn how this algorithm works. And you think you wouldn't have filled those holes any other way? No, I I think that I actually need to be told this, you just got to get through this Those holes were real and not artificial? Not the dull bit. They're the dull bits like how an algorithm is designed or, or um, I, I why agree you with should you. do certain things in mm. security. And, and the people who are experts at that will know where yeah. the holes are. What I'd like to know, though, is how did you endure the bits that you already knew? Oh, it was, um, I didn't turn up at lectures for those, but the, right. the truth is that I, I still, I'd go and I'd sort of get bored and sit through them, but it was part of a process. I needed a degree, I needed to get a mm. whatever. 
and so I guess the design stuff enough. comes back to how do you actually um, shepherd students through based on where they are, what they need, where the holes are. Cause and that, that's where, where the, the, the role of the educator comes in, isn't it? I mean, when I'm teaching, first thing I need to do is evaluate what my students are like, and then I spend a semester sort of modifying my course here and there to tackle what they seem to have strengths, uh, weaknesses in and focus on that a bit more. And but you're massificating. You're, like, you're making, you, by its very nature and by the very mm -hmm. end, the problem we've got is that you might have 100 students and therefore how can you possibly uh, do that well? And and you'd have to take issue with the idea that you are filling holes that would never have been met. And maybe it's... Would they have been... And, and, it's, towards, sorry, and it's towards the qualified practitioner mm. idea that there's a, there's a track that we follow towards this qualified practitioner is the goal. And then we have this also, this other understanding that you go through primary school and high school, go into university and go into postgrad university. And at postgrad is when you're the self-directed learner or self-directed researcher slash learner but at grad level he was a self-directed learner totally. well, at primary he, he identified totally. what he knew mm. we, want, we want people at primary but they are Andrew Dowd yeah. did a presentation at the New South Wales um, e-learning conference and he was talking about the meat and potato stuff he just puts on YouTube or whatever and if people need to learn the boring stuff they go up so he uses his time with students to answer questions and to follow up stuff so he could have a hundred students because the meat and potato stuff is there people graze according to what they need to get through and the time is spent on the real issues that come up for that particular cohort and that makes every teaching year different and every relationship with students but different. But this, this is an educational technique from way back. I mean, mm. I was looking at... I got taught how to do um, mentored collaborative postgraduate education and I thought that's very clever. That's about self-directed learning and all that stuff. Uh, and then I was looking at how to design classrooms to help with that, open classrooms, and I ended up in books on, on the Montessori approach to school design, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, for kids. Mm. And, but it's essentially the same idea. You set up the learning environment, be it physical or virtual, where the students, when they reach, feel the need and reach out for something, the, what they need is within reach but you mm. don't make it, make it seem like you're pushing the stuff at them. In, um, or that one has to come before the other. And all yeah. In 1981, I did a uh, teaching practicum at the, and I can't think of its name, so help me, Canberra, um, the independent school that's down in the southwest corner um, with a totally inspiring early childhood teacher um, whose name was Margaret. And... Uh, we had in our class probably about 18 kids aged 5 to 8 and that's exactly how she ran her class. She would pull a group of 4 or 5 together who needed very uh, specific intensive uh, work in a particular area and every other child came to her at the beginning of each session and she asked them what is it that you'd like to do now? I want to learn about blah, what do you need from me to help you start you know, down that track and then they would report back and now they're going. They could ditch that uh, in the next session or they could continue it in, in depth, etc. So it's certainly possible but it's, you know, it, she was a rarity. In, mm. in is anyone familiar with the idea of threshold concepts? It seems like a lot of what we've been talking about before 
um, aligns really well to that. They're essentially uh, like um, core uh, pieces of understanding that people need to be able to move from being a learner in a field to being a, a professional in a field. So if you like, from being a learner of engineering to being an engineer. And it, it, they're almost, the acquisition of those uh, concepts or pieces of understanding is almost like passing through a gateway. So once you acquire those core pieces of understanding, there's no going back, you can't go back. And, and I think getting back to what, uh, you know, what, what the role of teachers is, in a sense it's making explicit those what often become tacit pieces of knowledge for people, for professionals in the field. And, 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 a, and a good educator, I think, is able to, you know, put their finger on what those pieces, core pieces of understanding are. And a lot of what we teach is superfluous to that. If we can, if we can identify what those uh, threshold concepts are, and often they're what they call troublesome knowledge, because they make no sense, um, then a lot of the other understanding. If you've got an example right here now, uh, that, that, that is done naturally through conversation. You test ideas out, somebody responds and points out a gap in your thinking. Tom did it to us about six times last time. Basically, we aren't engaging in the civic channels that enable or, po or give us an opportunity to affect change to the thing we're critiquing, right? Mm. And, and Tom alerted to us several times, and it's only by having Tom here that we really realise that, right? So what did I do? Uh, you know what you did. And Can I do the repeat class? Well, his blog is repeat class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blogging it. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, and he's going to start a class actually. No, on, but I'm on actually, actually interested in. Um, like for professions or, or discipline, you know, vocations, occupational areas, can you give an example of a threshold? Is it like learning to drive and, you know, being able to change gears or riding a bike where, like, I was interested in what you said about once you learn it, you can't unlearn it? I think it actually grew out of economics first, strangely enough. But, um, um, in economics, for example, there may be specific uh, mathematical concepts that uh, underpin a lot of um, theories, uh, etc. And unless you get get an in inverted commas those those core pieces of understanding, then you're going to be lost. Um, in in e-learning, I, I would I would um, think things like um, the understanding of uh, of RSS is probably a threshold concept and a, and a troublesome one at that. And unless you kind of uh, get that, then a lot of you know what we talk about and a lot of what we make assumptions about just what just won't happen. But In nursing, there are probably other you know core pieces about. Um, you know, anatomy or physiology. So, so would it be like the difference between being able to recite your times table and actually understanding what multiplication is? No, it's is an it understanding of number, of, of I mean, being a being a, a numeracy teacher, there are there are really really core pieces of understanding about number, 
that unless unless you kind of uh, have your head around that, unless you you, you get that, then uh, you're going to struggle through. So, but how can you how can you exist lost? You know, if if you can exist lost in a field and never be corrected through natural ways of trying to I think a lot of people field. flounder. That's yeah, why people flounder. But why do they flounder? And I think they, I think they flounder is because we look to a channel to get information. The channel is to that one expert who's tasked to teach on mass scale in in these these things. Whereas if we were to um, adapt the peer to peer thing that the internet brings us, then I think we'd flounder for for less. I mean, there's still the risk of the cult of am- am- the amateurization of everything that people with the same lost attitude will congregate together and exist in somehow without but that core of information. I think, I think rather than Peter Peely, I think it's community. And yes. within that community, yes. somebody is going to connect with you. Yes. And, and you will say, wow, why didn't somebody explain it to me like that? Before I've had yes. numeracy students say to me, why didn't somebody say that to me at school? Exactly, you know? Stephen and I were talking or, about or, or amps and what did you learning to write. Somebody show me that. And, and learners mm. learn things differently. I remember years ago, and like I'm musical, I have been all my life, and people used to explain modes in jazz, and and every time they explain it, they explain it exactly the same way, and I just it just never made sense. And I remember once going to a class, the lecturer explained it, and I was over being embarrassed by then. I was like, don't get it. And then he sort of talked to me a bit, and he went through about three different kinds of explanation. On the fourth explanation of the same thing, and by this stage I was blushing because I felt so stupid in the class, he conceptually just found a... He already found three, but on the fourth one, he hit the jackpot in terms of describing it in a way that my mind immediately got, and I felt like I crossed a line. And that's exactly it. Through right. that gateway okay. into that was in his gift of being able to sort of go through a different, a few different ways of, of what would make sense. The trouble is that a, a lot of so-called experts in in fields forget what it was like to not have that piece of understanding. Mm. It, it's like it's always been there. It's a tacit Everybody isn't naturally a gifted teacher. Mm. Exactly, a lot of teachers just have to be. A lot of teachers shouldn't be teaching. Well, in in retrospect, I actually think the way it's explained is actually like um, memorising the times table. The final way that he explained it, in the end, was much more logical in terms of describing something rather than just, you know. So I actually think the way it's taught is wrong. I've got an example along those lines, which I just feel like trying. Um, When I, I used to teach a lot of first year programming. And I used to get this class of a group of students that were doing first year uni and they didn't want computers. They didn't want to do programming. We're in my class because we were forcing them because of another degree and we said you had to do stuff. And uh, the thing about programming is there's this point where if you hit it, it clicks. Suddenly programming makes sense. It's actually a logical puzzle, this programming. It's not about computers. It's not about... Uh, the language, it's about logical puzzles and the way you think them through and piece them together. And so to get that, I, I focus on that as the concept. So the whole course is about making them think that, not to teach programming. 
And so to do that, I just mucked around with analogies. I would say, I'm going to teach this, and we'd do the story of the chocolate puddings, and we'd do, which is one I used last, last semester for another course, or we'd talk about houses and keys and letting people into your house and banning some people, and we just would run through analogies and different techniques, and you'd see different students start to get it as you get hit different analogies and different stories. And if they don't, sometimes you'd have to go into a prac and sit down with them for, for 20 minutes and sort of talk to them about it and explain it and just wait for the work to click. And with some students it would take eight weeks for it to click and some students they'd get it in four. But that's what the teaching was about. Mm. Get them past that. Programming's mm. easy. The second you stop caring about computers and that you start thinking about problems. Yeah. You can see both, so those, both those stories uh, still hold the teacher as important. Totally. And but it's the, the um, teacher uh, is teaching is practiced so much more differently now. The guy who puts an explanation of some aspect of programming onto YouTube only to help his mother understand that aspect of programming and accidentally having to help those 500 students from different courses also understand the same concept. Or those 500,000 students who have paired off, made little groups of five who seem to understand it in the same sort of way and are recommending links to each other. I think the teacher becomes the teacher as in the, the one who's in charge of the 100 students in one, in one institution and has about five ways to explain something up his or sleeve or maybe 550 becomes increasingly redundant once those people no, but know how to... No, that's not a repertoire of, yeah. of an analogies that he's memorised. You're actually... You're, it's you're an interaction. You are responding for that yeah. to a mind. You're still within a limited repertoire. And because the, the teacher is the one delivering the, uh, the variety of explanations. Yours had, had four, and on the fourth you got it. But anybody could be the teacher so long as they're an expert in that area. So yeah. what... Exactly, Rose, and, and that's my point. It's your definition of a teacher. A teacher isn't somebody who's got an education degree standing in front of a class. My child teaches me things. Oh, the people in the street teach me things. And this is what I'm saying. They can help you, you know, reach those points of understanding. No, no, a teacher is a They're regulated a profession teacher. with a license to operate institutions. No, I disagree. I disagree. Okay, well, okay. Well, well, if we're talking about that broad spectrum teaching, then we're, we're, we're agreeing. But we, talk, we, but we use examples of things that go in the institution. So okay. far, I find myself the only one exa using examples of teaching happening informally that directly challenges the, the common conception of teaching. This guy who mm. taught me finally was a very well-known jazz musician who was just making money on the side teaching. So I suspect that had something to do with it. He was he was actually a practitioner. Mm. So I, you're a practitioner. You call yeah. yourself a teacher. I was but a really hacker first. Um, yeah. but but te te teacher and teaching aren't dirty words. You know? That's I mean, right. They can be... There are fantastic teachers and, and there have been wonderful teachers in my life, only a few of them have been official, you know, capital T teachers in an institution. Most of them have been, you know, people with a passion. Well, in the vet sector, uh, the teachers are meant to be industry current. So that's, that's say, one of, the, one of the key aspects of professional mm. currency. You actually have to be current in your industry sector. And you have to have a certificate for and a training, an adult training and um, assessment. Oh, you yeah. have to understand the, the um, national training information. So you have to understand the institutions. Yeah, all of that breaks down the it's natural no, teacher. If, if anyone rattled that cage, no, I reckon you'd find a lot of, you know, like how many 
of all the vocational education teachers in Australia, how many of them are actually current, meaning they've worked in that industry as a carpenter or yeah, you know like retail really. assistant. I don't think there's a lot of retail teachers that acted as a shop assistant in the, the last five years. The only thing that saved the sector in that regard, I think, is probably casualisation because by having casual mm. teachers, you yeah. get the renewal of uh, people yeah. who are working in industry becoming teachers. Yeah. So how is how is mm. we started this concept with yeah. Michael Coglin saying that the carpenter teacher discovered the YouTube videos. How many people mm. did he reject up until that point who said, I learnt these skills? through watching the YouTube videos and, and trialling area and sending that guy on YouTube my video thing and he corrected me and stuff like that and he no, 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 you need to do my course. No, 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 you did it, of course. Finally, he mm. discovered YouTube, he found the videos and now he uses them in his class. I mean, I can think personally of nearly hundreds of examples of teachers resisting people mm. who want to go that way of learning, who want to use YouTube, who... who uh, who do who do use YouTube and they try to share it with their friends in class and the teacher goes, no, you can't trust YouTube. So the broadcast statement of the whole thing, you can't trust Wikipedia is a broadcast statement of yeah. YouTube. But they're actually learning that way and then the teacher discovers only the fact that he can use it in his class. He can put it up on the screen, there's a good video. And he didn't still hasn't realised the whole other side of the thing. But, but he's made a first tip. And it, and it brings him into the situation where down the track you might be in a spot where you can encourage him to make his own because he might find that out of that posse of YouTube videos there's not one about using a particular type of hammer or something. You know, something specific and peculiar um, for that particular area and, and that might be the point in time which you can say to him, okay, if that's the only one you haven't got a video for, let's make one and let's put it up on YouTube. Right, and, and it is a, a what, what a massive drain on resources to just keep trying with these teachers, keep trying, keep trying. Meanwhile, these people are doing it on a volunteer basis and have been doing it mm. for nearly 10 years and we haven't given them a single bit of recognition or resource. It'll shift. It'll definitely shift. I love electro-technology. shifting. Because there's mm. a certificate three you do, there's an apprenticeship you do, there's licensing that you do separate to those two things and then there's another thing they do and it must be very dangerous because they do all these things to you know, make sure they get the proper electricians mm. and the, the final thing they do is thing called the capstone and the mm. capstone is a word that I've noticed popping up in the same way that I've noticed um, uh, licensing and stuff popping up in occupations and a capstone is this really, really, really hard test at the end that you have to jump through that's sort of similar to the recognition of prior learning but probably more an exam and practical exercise and all that sort of stuff. And it's not, you know, 50% is a pass. I think 100% is a pass or something like that. It's fairly uh, stringent. So I'm wondering whether, you know, 15 years from now, we will have people who've learned whatever they need to learn and the capstone will be the, the education, you know, the, the, the sort of maybe the electronic portfolio of work and that sort of stuff, but actually have a system where... You, you do, you know, to become a carpenter, you do actually go through all these different... Um There's so many carpentry. I mean, it's unfortunate that local governments regulate people's ability to do their own building and their own works. I mean, they put it under the guise of protecting people's lives and safety, but it's really about keeping the industry in employment. But oh, both, no, both, don't, yeah, both. exactly. You can't... You go to places where they don't have those sorts of laws, it's, they don't... I challenge what you're saying. Uh, and um, and the unfortunate result of that is that people don't have the opportunity to learn critical life skills. In other words, we institutionalise these skills and now we have a whole class of people who couldn't even put a hammer and nail together, wouldn't even know how to call timber what. No, and, and 
council in, in Australia is going to stop you putting a hammer on a nail. They're going to stop you putting... You need a project to apply that. It's not just hammer and nail. You need a project mm -hmm. to put an awning, but the awning has to be such a... It's a cubby house. You, you can can't get a licence to build a, a yes. whole house. Yes, you can. You can get a licence, but... As a hobby, as a owner no, And it would be I've the building tried, code Australia. I want to escape this awful you occupation. Have to do a no, no, it's not the test. There's no, nothing to do. I wanted to build. I wanted to explore building a certain type of way. These long forgotten skills of trading, round earth building, and things like that. There's no available license or course. You have, you have to learn the industry relevant way of building, which involves these Chinese made products that are imported in and certain <laughs> types of nail guns and all this sort of stuff, so that you're industry relevant to pass the test. I don't want to learn that. I want to learn the old techniques. And, and those techniques are not through formal institutions, but I'm not allowed to build a house that way because I have to have a certificate or I have to find a builder who's master in that particular skill or move to a jurisdiction where I don't so have to get So does that mean I would not be allowed to knit a house? Because <laughs> no, I'm sure that I could. Be, I'm it's sure going to be a habitable structure. No, you won't be able to. You have to have certain... It depends um, on the roof like area. You have a restaurant, you have if to it was a very, area. very little house, you'd probably get away you with it. You could use carbon fibre. Yeah. That's knitted. Well, I'm, no, I'm just wondering, if there's no provision for, you know, whatever technique you're using, then how could Crochet. they... Crochet. No Crochet would be more It's The word I use is uh, architectures of control. It's like there is a way you can do it if you're very persistent uh, and you can waste a lot of time getting the permits, permits to do that or you can just do it and risk the knockdown. Maybe it's probably the DA process yes, rather right. than the, the home builder licensing. That's what I'm talking about. The, the DA. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The uh, permit But to there's build. a difference between um, rules that have evolved, you know, to protect people and, you know, ensure that sort of habitable houses... I mean, I mean, if I was in industry, that is a rule that keeps my... If I was going to use place. an example, I'd be looking at, like, it's funny that, um, you know, doctors sort of don't pretend... They pretend they don't have a union, yet, you know, they so regulate the training of surgeons and that, and that sort of stuff. So I would be more using those sorts of examples where they actually regulate... Mm. No, why would you use those I would use examples like shelter... Food, growing food. These are real. What and medicine, things. healthcare, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but but you know that's a very expert. No, but they regulate the training. They actually, you know, so they absolutely. It seems to me that they control, you know, the um, supply of. But why, why would yeah. you use that as an example? I would use the the one that the common people, common people, as in people you find regularly, not as in common-minded people, find anywhere who have hit a wall in frustration, just trying to make mm. an add-on to their house or or to tweak a car or just to get involved in a project. Uh, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I mean, mm. you can walk into our council um, development approval office and ask them to give you a list of people who tried to do funky things and they just said no. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. But then you can go to, well, I don't know, a place where regulation is a little loose and you can find all sorts of innovation going on in the food industry. I'm talking the streets of Asia and, and all sorts of innovation going on building. And a mooka. And what? And the Mooka in north and south Australia, completely unregulated. It's hilarious. Is it a city or a town? It's or a little what? town, about huh. a thousand people. It's an opal mining town. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah you move to, move to an area where, where the legislation is not there and go for your life. So it seems we're sort of talking about different things, even when we use the same words, like teacher. Teacher can mean a person who's an expert in something who's teaching, or it can mean someone who's registered. Well, we, with we do, yeah. Mm. We use educator and teacher, and to me they're... Difference. Uh, well, I avoid using teacher because I don't have any teaching qualifications. So you'd see it as a formal. To teach in a university, you don't need 
these mm. qualifications. I mean, if, if you were to say the word teacher and then give examples of the broader spectrum of things, but you don't give examples of only the institutional teacher practice. Given that we have to live collectively, I would be very, very um, concerned if I was moving into houses that were built by people, no offence to you, because I do trust you, but if I, was built, if I was walking into a house that you had built because you felt that you wanted to render it with, you know... Well, you should be afraid anyway because the loopholes are so many. I mean, I can't talk to the Canberra thing, but yeah, they don't either yeah, one. You yeah. know, like, I, it, you, you have to get an engineer's certificate if you're going to build a deck over three metres or over, over a metre twenty because there's a fall over a metre, but just break that fall with an awning. And you've got around, you don't need an engineer's ticket. So there's all this dodginess going yeah. on anyway, and then they'll regulate that and they'll regulate that. Yeah. Um, whereas an alternative approach, what is it? I don't know. But uh, it's that word conviviality, which I think is. What, what is conviviality? Because, I mean, I know that they use it in the Illich stuff. I don't actually. I haven't reached my threshold concept of conviviality. Self determination, the ability to self direct, self sufficiency. And, but also, um, it's a type of criticism to be hyper aware of tools and tools being policies and legislation and the actual tools like phones and stuff like that that interrupt your ability to be self-reliant. So open source software is an example of, of convivial software, or its principles are at least, whereas the proprietary software interrupts that ability to control the software. But there, it's not a fundamental thing, it's just an awareness, a critical awareness in your choice making and stuff like that. So if you were a council, a local council, where would you put the limits on things like the um, erection of um, buildings and stuff like that? Well, in New South Wales, you have to do a four-day workshop <laughs> to get your owner builder's permit. And does that just cover understanding the law or does that involve that actual time, skills? It's not as simple as that. Your building has to have in designed into it uh, certain um, um, features that are deemed um, a standard of habitable. Uh, you know, so forget it if you want to just live in a shed and ch chip away for five years making that shed a home. Forget can, that. But it's can you do this four-day workshop via open content and then present after you've done it for the certification? <coughs> you can do it online with Sydney Institute. You can do it by correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> There's a 700, page, 700 pages of course material in five modules. Yeah, so with O10, is it? Oh, as well? my God, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I... I don't think it's... I, I guess I think it was okay if you wanted to build your house and you were the only one who was going to ever occupy it. If you want to sell oh, it to yeah. someone or the community moves in, I think that's a different well, matter. The interesting thing of my understanding, they changed the law with uh, the owner-builder's licence in that now it's tied to DAs. You only get the, you only get the owner-builder's licence and it relates to a specific... Uh, development application and it's only, <coughs> it's only valid once once that's approved. Mm -hmm. So then you're back to where you're talking about mm -hmm. of that whole process. Of yeah, it's just easier mm -hmm. to get a kid home on a, an estate subdivision and that's the only way you can go home and, yeah. and, and you won't own that one, you know, you won't own that one house. Uh, what's right. that? So we're five, five minutes. minutes so. the, other, the analogy mm -hmm. for conviviality or the story that he uses with the AHA one for me, uses the example of, of development in Mexico in the, in the 60s, where they had uh, self, largely self-sufficient communities um, who would were within walking distance of um, shared community markets, and the farmer would walk his pig to, to market and things like that, and, and they had trucks, um, well it was not just walking distance, they had trucks that would go down these really shabby roads at basically walking pace so they could take large quantities of stuff to the market. 
so the idea of development came in to seal those roads which facilitated um, buses that go at high speed but when the buses went at high speed that was when the farmer could no longer take his pig to market or her pig to market because uh, you can't take a pig onto the bus and it's, it's a little bit simplistic but it's essentially that the road, the tool brought about a change that interrupted mm. the self-sufficiency and we see it going on everywhere mm. with the globalisation of things and stuff like that. Will the internet make this worse? Will it, will it be a situation where people will just download YouTube videos? Yeah, probably. And that goes back to that um, epic 2014 involving personalised information construct. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times. We have a breadth and access to a breadth and depth of knowledge never before conceived in the history of human life. But for the majority, it's just entertainment. Mm-hmm. But we need people like teachers who have been through all that stuff and say, these are the four you need to look at, forget the rest. Mm. No, no offence personally, but why do we say we need people like teachers who describe themselves as working in an institution when there are teachers who don't work in an institution but teach just mm. as many people? Or, you know, we could have. But there is a habit we have in referencing institutionalised practice as yeah. teaching which then yeah. limits the conceptual Yeah, you're talking to it. People as teacher and people outside of that are an expert or a... a or just a generous person. Or an, or an, uh, an expert amateur yeah. as well. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, when you brought in that networked layer to this, one thing that's happened in recent times with my mother, she's been part of a group of people who are all textile artists of various ilks and essentially for the last 12 months she's been running a weaving school in her house So, and it operates on a barter system. It, it's networked and it's open in an interesting way. After about half a dozen of the members of the group had come and some of them were coming every day for like three weeks at a time, um, they'd come in, all of them, they'd have various projects on the go and it was through the word of mouth and this was, you know, physical face-to-face word of mouth, location-based, yet it's still open, open and sort of semi-permeable, um, semi-open. And I guess one of the things that I, I look at is in terms of openness, what the internet does is opens up the opportunity for people to find that learning opportunity by serendipity for or through you know a, a good Whatever search, situation is. Ra- rather than having to um, be in a physical place and to mm-hmm. to have been in conversation with somebody who said, oh well, how about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where it, you know yes, there's a wealth of information out there. There's far too much information out there, um, and it's a long journey. But you know if we've got that carpentry teacher discovering those YouTube videos and using them. What that does is that opens the door. It's the first step along the path. And no, I don't agree. I think it, I think it's simply appropriates the, the discovery into the modus operandi. Is that yeah, yeah. You can't actually say that, though, because yeah. so many people, it has been an open... Like, mm. all of us would have our carpentry video moment of yeah. that door being opened. Mm. We had a and some people walk through that door, some yeah. people don't. Engineering teacher, new CAD software, nothing available, no textbooks, no workbooks, no nothing came to um, our team and said, what's out there, can you help me? I've, you know, I've got to start teaching in three weeks' time, I'm desperate. And staff member he was talking to said, oh, have you looked on YouTube? There's a lot of software tutorials on YouTube. 
couldn't possibly be anything there. This is a you know, professional software. Bing, bing, bing. 140 tutorials, high quality, all there, ready to go. Mm -hmm. and, and that was that yeah, teacher's aha movement. No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. That teacher just discovered a new library to reinforce their existing way of thinking. See, uh, it's like, uh, I have it. Tom is the opposite. Tom hears a question, searches and finds an answer. Mm. And most of us sit here and have a question and bitch and whinge and might moan about it and still don't have that first port of call to go and seek the possible answer. I catch myself all the time. I had a problem with a uh, backpedal brake on, on a, I don't know if you've ever pulled apart a backpedal brake, but that bloody complicated little thing. And, uh, and I couldn't put it back together. I went to the cycling co-op, right over to Fishwick Bike Shop, right over to this place, trying to find these experts uh, mm. to s answer my problem with the backpedal brake. Backpedal brakes had gone out of fashion long ago. That, that's long forgotten knowledge. Hmm. Meanwhile, my brother-in-law has YouTubed it while I've been out, and he's got me all the answers. So even I didn't think mm. to, mm. not just to search that, mm. but to put the question to YouTube. I got in the car and I drove around to these schools of shops to find the answer. Whereas uh, the difference with the mirror and her mm. ears, I, I didn't want to spend $60 to see a bet to give me an answer. Mm. Yeah. Can I just, to extend the YouTube scenario and maybe to wind this up, because we do have to finish, again referring to your brother-in-law, Lee, he has been learning guitar via YouTube videos, but because I happened to visit your house, I was able to provide him with a couple of bits of information which has shot him forward um, weeks and months. Right. And whether I'm teaching in an organisation or just walk in as a guest in your house, I'm the teacher in that role that's fast-tracked the process. You're just a guest in the house. Yeah, but I don't need to use the word teacher. That is just human nature that you see someone okay. from, you've got an answer. Cool. Yeah. A teacher with a but I might also Small add that. I told yeah. that same story I might also add because I told that same story this morning he wouldn't have approached you had it not been for the dialogue he'd already had on YouTube sure great so yes he was able to approach you and speak a little bit and you know engage with you uh, so it's what this what that's what I'm describing it doesn't only happen online it permeates through to the real world um, in this instance because I know he living Mm. Yeah. He might have, yeah. because Michael pulled his guitar out and started playing. I find it very hard to believe that he wouldn't he would have, have been, asked. I, well, I, I think I know him pretty well, but he would have been intimidated and hidden his guitar mm. and not mentioned really? it. Really? Yeah. Because Michael played far too well. <laughs> Any last thoughts, anyone, before we wind up and say goodbye? <laughs> so open mm. networked learning is about small T teaching. <laughs> I think that's the only yeah. thing just about being a human being. <laughs> and the, the creation, the um, co consumption and connection. I, I think it's those, those three C's are, are the, the ingredients and especially that connection in terms of the network. That's yeah, one thing we, I've we, really taken away from if today. If we need to explain it to people who have lost their humanity, yes, we do that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everybody.